Are you ready for this one? She's back. Episode 60 was Sarah and Jen, and we talked about IVF and how they were um, both going through fertility journeys. And in that episode, Jen had talked about, she had this amazing story about her father passed away and he had left her an inheritance that was in a trust and they were considering hiring a surrogate um, and the exact amount of money they needed for the surrogate was what was left in her trust. And she was considering whether or not, she and her husband were considering whether or not to go the surrogate route. Well, they did. And she came back to talk about it. It was an amazing, uh, I guess, episode two of this episode one of this fertility journey for uh, Jen and her husband. And they now have a lovely two-year-old boy. And I can't wait for you to hear about her story. She's such a bright light. She's such a happy soul. Um, It was really great to hear her story. And a lot of you had asked whatever happened. So here you go. Here's what happened. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jen. It was so nice to see her. And I'm so happy for her for this journey. Um, thanks for coming back every week. Thanks for your emails at birdieboyproductions.com. Thanks for going to see The Machine. Thanks for watching Razzle Dazzle. Thanks for, yeah, just thanks for everything. I hope you enjoy this episode with me and Jen. so glad you're back. Did they tell you that you've been highly requested? No. Oh, yeah. No one told me anything. I was oh. just like, okay. No. People are asking, whatever happened to Jen and Sarah? Did they have babies? Did she get a surrogate? Whatever happened? Please have her back on. We're dying to know what happened. That's so cool. Yeah, right? Yeah, you never know who listens in and who, you know, is curious. Yeah. yeah. So what happened? Oh, my gosh. It's been, it's been, I have a two and a, two, two year and three month old. Oh boy named Cy. Oh my God. He says, when I say, what's your name? He says, C-Y Cy, because it's spelled C-Y Cy. So um, he's a delight and an actual miracle. Um, And they're all miracles, but he's like, it shouldn't be here. And he is. Why? Uh, Because, you know, it took us seven years to, to conjure him into this world. And, you know, he was, I don't remember where exactly we were at the last time we spoke, but you know the 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 top line is that there was there was five embryos made biological embryos with me and my husband's stuff mm-hmm. over the course of 3 years mm-hmm. and two of them i tried to implant inside myself and they didn't work and then we finally made the call i think this must have been around that time it was before okay uh I, I think before what you're about to say. Okay. Yeah, there was kind of like a, 
it's like when one of those like when you know you know moments where you're not quite sure when the answer is going to find you but like there was a moment at which my body was like you're done like you're done you've tried hard enough like you don't need to do this anymore and I kind of gave myself that pass and there was some mourning in that process mm-hmm. um but ultimately it was like I knew with every ounce of my being, like I couldn't put my body through anything else. Yeah. We at the time had had three embryos left in the bank front one well, in the, in the whatever mm-hmm. cryo yep. bank. In the cryo we'll bank. called the cryo bank. Yeah. Um, and I was like, why am I going to keep trying something that's just not working? And it wasn't just like, oh, you try it and you move on. Like it's such a toll on your body. It's mm-hmm. like you're shooting yourself up with drugs and then you have to have a procedure and then you have to like, recover from that procedure and then you've got to wait the 10 days to see if it works and then when it doesn't work then your whole body has to detox all those hormones it's not a miscarriage it's just it's an embryo that doesn't take Mm -hmm. I was just I can't do that again it takes like three to four months to like cycle through the kind of physical and emotional toll every time you do that and I was just done yeah it's like it was, I must have been like six years of just, you know, many different versions of disappointment. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't, it was emotional and physical. Everything said, stop. Like, you've done enough. You don't need to do this anymore. And so that's when we decided to go down the surrogacy route. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole, I'm sure, which we'll get into. But, you know, the top line of it was that we had these three embryos left. We ultimately signed with the surrogacy agency um, who it's like, it's like a full service situation because it's such an intricate process that like rules and laws and things that are built around it that like one person couldn't figure out. So the agencies really help you navigate all insurance and Supreme Court of California laws and contracts and lawyers. So they help you navigate all of that and we sign with an agency and we eventually, it's a matching service. They eventually, they, they match you with a a woman or a family that is, you know, on the other side of it. And we matched with this woman who was wonderful. And um, we tried to, so we used our third embryo with her and and I, I it, it didn't work, which was like the craziest thing. Because by the time that happens, you're like, oh, it's, this is a woman who has three kids. She's a machine. Like her body's meant to do this. Right. Like she has, you know, easy childbirth. She loves being pregnant. Like, of course, it's a, it's an embryo. It's tested. Everything's perfect. Like, of course it's going to work. And it didn't. Mm. So that was a whole thing, which we can dig into later. But then um, COVID happened. So this is all happening in the midst of oh COVID. Oh, my gosh. And then we tried our fourth embryo. And it worked. And she had an easy pregnancy. And now we have a two-year-old, two, a little over two-year-old son. And he's wonderful. So that's the, that's the, the broad top. Stroke. That's the broad strokes. And yes. then obviously there's a lot of like, juicy details in there yes yeah well I know on the podcast you had you had not yet decided to uh-huh. go the circusy route but you told the story about I think your dad passed yeah. and left you enough uh funds to be able to do that yeah. which was amazing story yeah and I think that's probably one of the big things that resonated with people who are listening is like did she do it because yeah everything led to you should yeah in the story that you told yeah and like the numbers were weird because you know your agency gives you a quote on what it costs and so and it's an obscene amount of money and it is not lost on us that like it is a massive privilege to be able to do something like this because not everyone would be able to right um but there's like there's this range and the fact that like the what was left in that account from like 40 years ago 
was like right in the dead center of that range. And like, I've been carrying that money around thinking, oh, someday I'll use it for a down payment on a house. Or maybe I used a little bit of it for college and like it had whittled down over the years. And then it was such a random number and the numbers were so closely aligned that it was like, this has to be the gift that has been, I've been waiting to use this for. Cause I never, you know, it was always going to use it for something that was really meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'd say that, that this is meaningful. It's totally <laughs> meaningful. meaningful. And it's so crazy when you, and there's, you know, a couple things around it. Cause we had our, we had a friend who, I don't know if we talked about this in the last one, we had a friend who passed away, away kind of in the midst of a lot of this. And there's some circle of life stuff there as it relates mm-hmm. to Cy and Cy, his middle name is Alexander. It was my friend Alex who passed away. So he's named after Alex and my dad. Um, but with Alex and then with my dad, the circle of life stuff, it, it's all kind of, you know, when you pull back fairly you know, spiritual, when you think about, you know, you don't, yeah, I don't know. You just there's there you can explain that kind of like story and the narrative and the kind of like linear connection when you have time mm-hmm. and you have perspective on it. Mm-hmm. But in, in in that process, like you don't always see it. And now it feels very clear. It's very clear that yeah. was the way it was supposed to be. That's so yeah. crazy. That's how life works, isn't it? If you're on the right path, the path just shows up. Yeah. And you just kind of go, oh, yeah, this is the way. Super easy. Yeah. Um, not that and it's easy, but it's a bit effortless. Yeah. You know, yeah. Stuff to work. But um, were you, I mean, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> I have 8,000 questions. Ask them all. Were you terrified? Yes. Yeah. You had to be terrified. Well, it's, you know, so so the, the timeline, because the timelines are always so strange, again, in retrospect. So we found out that she didn't that the pregnancy didn't take with Laura. Our surrogate's name was Laura. We found out the pregnancy didn't work on Monday, March 9th, Mm -hmm. 2020. Oh, boy. On Wednesday, March 11th. So we were like, and we were just like, what do you mean? Like, we've done all of this. Like, we've committed this money. We are like, it's finally a sure thing. Like, what do you mean this didn't work? So we had this like day of just like, you know, true despair. Yeah. By Tuesday, it was like you couldn't be around someone who was sneezing or coughing and people were freaking out about COVID. Mm -hmm. Wednesday, I left work because I actually, funny enough, a girlfriend of mine was like patient zero in California. She was like in those first 2000 people who got COVID. And I happened to have dinner with her the Saturday before and we were like sharing chopsticks. Oh my God. And so I was like, I definitely have COVID, which I didn't have COVID at the time. Not that it matters, but so I left work on Tuesday, on Wednesday thinking, I'm going to go home and just be safe. I took my computer, shut the door to my office that Wednesday. And by Friday, the world shut down. Right. So that week was like, it started with like this thing that was like, you know, spiraling, but like, we didn't really know what it was going to be. And we all thought we were going to be gone for two weeks. And on that first day of that week, this was like a no for us. And then by Friday, it was like, oh, we completely forgot that we actually just had this failure because the world is shutting down and it's Armageddon. Right. And then that was March. And then we, our fertility clinic shut down. All doctor's offices shut down. Like no one was doing anything. So it gave us this kind of window to just regroup. Yeah. And then our fertility clinic called us and they said, you know, we're going to start doing like a couple procedures a week and you'll be first on the list. So um, they let our surrogate Laura back in the office in July. Mm. 
And we couldn't go. Like, we weren't allowed to go to any appointments, whereas we went the first time when mm-hmm. it didn't take. But it was just, you know, it was that strange time with COVID. She got pregnant in July, and, like, the whole surrogacy was on Zoom. Oh, my God. Like, we would go, she would go to doctor's appointments, and we weren't allowed to go, so we would just FaceTime. So she would, like, bring a phone, and she would, like, show us what was happening. But, you know, we it was no contact. Crazy. And so it was crazy in general because the whole thing is wild that you can actually create, you know, what could become life and outside of your body in general is wild. Yeah. Science is amazing. Yeah. And then you can actually put it in another human being and that person can carry a child to term and deliver. Like that is just crazy on its own. And then we had this extra layer of like, it was early days of COVID for the whole pregnancy. Right. So um, it was all pretty nuts. But, yeah. you know, we also are fairly, my husband Goldie and I are fairly laid back people. And so there wasn't a, a lot of people were like, were you scared if she was, you know, having a glass of wine or if she's smoking cigarettes or if she's doing, and we were just like, if we don't trust her to do this, then like, she's not the right match for us. Right. And so a lot of that kind of happens in the matching process of making sure that you're aligned with the things you're comfortable with. You know, if we were stricter, we probably wouldn't have been a great match for her. So, you know, we we were kind of pre-matched on a lot of that stuff. Mm So while it was crazy, I never really, and this is kind of carried through to our parenting style too, because we're not like, you know, we're not uh, rules, so much like rules people. Mm -hmm. Like we're like, you know, this woman's doing this amazing thing for us. Let's just let her do her thing. And if she's happy, it's going to be a happy pregnancy. And we don't want her to feel micromanaged by us. So we, it was crazy, but it wasn't, it wasn't terrifying. Mm, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. But I think it's different for everyone because I've talked to, I've connected with a lot of other women because when you go through something that's very specific and mm-hmm. unique, everyone wants to introduce you to the person they know who did the thing. And yeah. so I wound up having this incredible group of women that I didn't know prior that were like two steps removed from my friend groups that were just there to support me. And I try to now do that for other women too, because it's again, so specific. Everyone's situation is just different. Right. You know, I've talked to other women who, you know, want to know everything that's going on with their surrogate at all times. And we just weren't like that. Yeah. I wouldn't, I I don't think I would be like that either. No. Because yeah, you're right. A happy, a happy mommy is a happy baby. Yeah. And why? What, what, what's it going to, you know, Babies yes. are so resilient. Yeah. They live through so much stuff that yeah. why worry yourself to death about it or her. Yeah. Make her stressed. Well, I think the other thing that's kind of interesting about the relationship, because it's a very specific relationship with another human being, and you're coming to it with a whole different set of life experiences. And, you know, it's incredibly intimate. You know, I mean, it's inside of your body. It's like as intimate as it gets yeah but um I just lost my train of thought I was gonna say something about the difference about this experience yes oh this is what I was gonna say is that um and this agencies will tell you this in the beginning that we're so there's the terminology for we're called intended parents they call us like IPs not that I'm an acronym person, but so we're the intended parents and um, she's the surrogate. And for intended parents, because they've been normally once you get to the place of surrogacy, you've either been through something tricky or maybe, you know, a, a gay couple who can't have children, you know, in a, in a you know, um, you know, 
whatever natural way that's not the right terminology but whatever however we want to say that um but for intended parents you've been through something so everything feels like well it's, there's going to be disappointment naturally there's going to be disappointment because there's always disappointment and this is just our story and for the surrogate because they've had easy pregnancies and like they have because they have to have, have had kids to do it sure um and they have to have a track record but for them it's like oh, pregnancy's easy. Like, what do you mean? This is no big deal. And so you're coming to it from like these two very different places. And it's really emotional for the intended parents who are usually coming to it from just like a lot of challenges mm-hmm. and obstacles. And loss. And loss. Yeah. And for a surrogate, it's like a joyful, easy thing that they just, they they can't understand kind of where all of the despair that you've been through. And I couldn't understand how it could just be so easy for someone. Right. So you're kind of coming to it from that place of like, how do we find common ground so that like we kind of respect where each other, what each other's life experience have been leading up to that. Right. That's really fascinating. Yeah. Are you still in touch with her? I haven't talked to her in a while. We stayed in touch on text message for probably the first year of Sai's life. Um, She... I mean, here we'll talk about bearing the lead, but, you know, so Sai was the fourth embryo of five. And so we've got this last one in the bank, in the cryobank, as we say in this forum. Um, and so we had spoken to her a while back and she was going to do the last one for us and try it. Oh, wow. However, she moved to Texas. And oh. so it wound up not working out that she could do it. And in the midst of all of this, we're also dealing with like abortion laws in the country and Roe v. Wade and, you know, states overturning things. So to not be in California and to be in a state like Texas that has, there's a little, it's a little bit more controversial. Mm -hmm. It's just a trickier situation. Um, It's so, you know, again, that's like another layer on top of this is like we three years ago didn't have to think about any of that. And now that's actually part of the equation. Right. If something were to go wrong with the pregnancy, we'd have to get her out of Texas. Right. So it just felt a little too, um, like a, an an unnecessary stressor on a very stressful situation. Right. So, um, at the time that she moved to Texas, um, and we decided we weren't going to do that last thing together, which was a huge disappointment because she was amazing. Um, we rematched with another surrogate, um, and that is very much hanging in the balance right now. So as spoiler alert, Oh my gosh, um, that's that's where we're at at the moment. It's exciting. Yeah. But so, you know, we keep in touch a little bit here and there and we'll text each other every so often, but, um, it feels like there's like a really nice closure to the relationship and, um, yeah, that's good because I would, I would imagine, uh, is a certain type of person that could carry someone else's child and just give it over and be like, and that's for you. Yeah. You know, what a selfless thing. I mean, she's getting paid, obviously. Uh-huh. So it's not entirely selfless. And I don't know her circumstance, maybe that or what you paid her, but it might have been life-changing money for her. And and it's just a year of her life, really, uh, to, to do something good maybe for herself or her family. But that I... It's got to be a really specific person who can just remain detached to this thing that grew inside your body. Yeah, you know? I think that, um, and again, you, the agencies are so great because they do this day in and day out. But, you know, they always said to us, because I was, prior to this, I was like, what, 
who would do this? Like, mm-hmm. who would do this? This right. is crazy. Like, who would want to put their body through this for someone else? And yes, to your point, like, you know, there is a, ben- there's a, you know, financial benefit, but you still have to have a string of altruism in that. A hundred percent. So it's, I it's do not it just, else. yeah, it's not just about getting paid. It mm-hmm. definitely, there, it's a very altruistic and selfless thing to do. But I think what is interesting at least in my experience and from a lot of the experiences that I've connected with other women about who've been in this, in this boat, like these women don't want, they don't, and I cannot speak for them, but they don't want the baby. Like that's not the idea. You know, they, they know that, you know, they are doing a selfless act that they, they're using their body to do something for someone else. But it, it seems fairly normal that like these women walk away and, and what, and we got a lot of guidance on this from our agency and there's like psychologists involved who are like the best thing for a surrogate, the best thing for them is when they hand you that baby. And we had a, we went out and saw her. She's three kids. We went out and saw her and her family like three weeks after Sai was born. Um, And I remember thinking when we did that, like it is so important, not only for her to feel the joy of her handing us that baby because that's the closure for her mm-hmm. but for her three children mm-hmm. to see us with that baby because that baby Asai lived in their home yeah. inside of her for nine months and during COVID when they were all on lockdown and like she was pregnant with him so there's a relationship there and sure. so for her children to say this is what my mom did for those people mm-hmm. and how happy that that made us to me like that was also part of the closure totally. it's like let's make sure that there's a moment where her kids get to see the kind of like fruits of everyone's labor and everyone's mm-hmm. hard work to make this whole thing happen and so i think that i think it's more about that than it is about maybe like what we would assume in what, and I'd say, quote unquote, normal, like in a normal pregnancy, mm-hmm. like where you're like, how could you have a baby and hand it over to someone else? It's, it's, there's different boundaries that I think are naturally baked into this process. Mm-hmm. And I think for them, the altruism is the handing of the baby to someone else where they've been able to help someone else start their families. Right. So I don't know if that makes, is it, it, it makes kind of makes sense. sense. Yeah. I could see it. Uh, and again, I can't speak for surrogates. I can only speak for my side of it, right. but that's from what my, from a lot of the conversations I've had, that's what I've gleaned. It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, there has to be. There's so many selfless people on the planet, you know, and being selfless is different for everybody. That's a big one. It's a big one. It's a big one. Your body just goes through so much when you're pregnant. Um, I got pregnant very easily and I had, George's pregnancy was a little difficult, but Isla, if if I could guarantee that happened and I had someone that I loved that needed it, I would have done it if it could, if I could guarantee I had my Isla pregnancy. As I played tennis tall, I was nine months pregnant with her. I gained 25 pounds. I did nothing. Dream. It dream. was a dream. It was, and I had like pushed for 20 minutes. Boom, mm-hmm. she's out. It was wonderful. Uh, as wonderful as that can be. It still was an upheaval, but, but, um, golly, what a selfless thing to it do. It really is so incredible. And I think, again, from our perspective, we're like, why would anybody do this? Like, it seems like the hardest thing that a woman's body would ever have to go through. Like, what I, couldn't even do for myself, let alone for someone else. So there's so much beauty in the fact that there's people in this world that want to do that for other yeah, families. It's very beautiful. So what ha- the thing about being pregnant, right, is you, you, because the thing is growing in you, I feel like, and you've birthed it, 
there's this natural kind of metamorphosis that happens, right? In your physical body. So when the baby shows up, it's kind of connected. But you didn't get that. No. Did, uh, were you aware of that? Did it mean anything to you? Probably not. Um, but you did know, it? it? There was definitely, yeah, I, everyone's experience is different. I know women who carry Absolutely. their own kids who like, even when they're nine months pregnant are like, can't fathom that on the other side is a baby. Like there's still a kind of a mind trick, Jedi mind trick that happens with all of it. Right. But for us, because the whole pregnancy was so removed and we were just, I mean, again, it was COVID and it was lockdown, but we were just kind of living, living our COVID lives for that whole time. She went into labor three weeks early. Oh, wow. So we were definitely, I mean, we wouldn't have been prepared no matter what, but we were like definitely not prepared. Right. And when we got the call that she went into labor and like we got in the car to drive to the hospital, which was like about a 60 mile drive to the hospital she was delivering at, it was like we had no concept of what was coming because there was no physical manifestation of it. Right. So as much as it's like, and, and throughout the whole pregnancy, I was like, you know, I, the pregnancy to me was about supporting Laura. Like I had no understanding or connection or kind of physical relationship with Sai. And so the whole pregnancy was just making sure she was okay and that she was doing well and checking in on her and making sure it was a great experience for her because the only thing I knew how to relate to was this other woman. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't have any, like there was, there's no hormones involved for you, nothing. So like all the way leading up to like the birth, it was incredibly removed. Even though in our minds we like rationally knew that this, I mean, it must be, must be similar to almost an adoption where, you know, you are handed a baby from someone else at when that happens. And, um, there's a mental preparation that you go through, but like until you're actually handed that baby, like you don't know what that's going to actually feel like. Totally. Um, so, and then the beauty of it, and this is where it's like, this is where the, the privilege of having a surrogate comes in was that I wasn't tired. I wasn't recovering. My God. I was strong. I was rested. I was working out. I was, you know, it was just in a, in a really strong physical place. Mm-hmm. And a, someone told me this, actually, another woman who I got connected with in this kind of like friends circle of women who've been through this. And she said to me before Sai came, she was like, you know, the coolest thing was after she had her, she had two kids with a surrogate. After she had her first kid, she had a friend come over who had a baby the same age. And the friend was like exhausted and a wreck and just like a mess and not in all the best ways. But like, and the friend said to her, like, God, you, you're so together. Like, how is like your house is calm? <laughs> like everything is quiet. Like you're put together. Like your body's not doing all the things. And, and really it was because she had the privilege of being handed this baby and 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 in a place where there was no recovery for her. Right. And I think that was that was the gift in it, right? Is like, you know, my body wasn't producing any hormones, milk, like any of the things that your body has to do. I didn't have to go through any recovery. There was no baths needed. I don't, I don't even know what 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 regular people do right. when they're recovering in a situation like this. So um, we just came into it from like such a strong place and the house was calm. Yeah. And we were just like ready to just do it. That's awesome. It was It was great. Yeah, it was really great. And it wasn't, I didn't know what it was going to feel like, but it was once he was there, it was like, okay, this is our kid. That's amazing. Yeah. And the thing that it does too is it, 
on a gender perspective, like, you know, in a heterosexual relationship with a man and a woman where there's like gender roles yeah. that are just naturally natural because we are who we are. It leveled us out mm-hmm. because I didn't need me. He didn't need me because I was producing milk for him or he didn't, he didn't come from my body. Like there was, there's, I presume physiological things that happen where the child needs the mother because Mm -hmm. of science and biology that we just didn't have. And so it leveled the whole playing field for me and my husband because we were equal. There was no, like, there was no physical attachment to my body that would make us have like just, I don't know, you call it a power dynamic or a responsibility dynamic or, you know, who needs to do more. Like we just came to it with the same responsibilities. And so the partnership was really an interesting thing to look at between us too because, you know, there was just, there was nothing needed from my body to like keep the child alive. And Mm -hmm. then it made, put us in equal playing fields. That's really cool. Yeah, I mean, again, it's a pro- if I could have had a child and not had to, had to gone through all of this, like I would tr- I'm sure trade it. This is this was our story. Sure, but like when you actually look at some of the kind of interesting things you're confronted with when yeah. you're in a situation that pushes you beyond your limits, it's 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 it begs a lot of these questions of you know biology and gender roles and partnership and you know whatnot. Yeah, that's so, really fascinating. Yeah, because I breastfed for a year. So, uh, you know, I was exhausted because uh, pumping to me was more trouble than just waking up and putting a baby on a boob. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd rather just wake up and do it because, first of all, it would take me 20 minutes to get Bert awake. Like we tried (laughs) in the very beginning of Georgia to pump and let him feed at night because he wanted to. And Mm. I was like, oh, my God, this is so much more work for me than just waking up and putting her on a boob. Uh, it's 20 minutes yeah. and then I'm back in the bed. Yeah, so times like six times a night. Times, exactly. You know, a year of or, your life. Yes. Times not sleeping. Yes. And, you know. And it was, it does, it did make gender roles very specific, mm-hmm. you know. And I know a lot of people pump or feed formula at night. And dad does it. And that's awesome. That's not how it worked in my house. Yeah. Um, and it did kind of put us on certain paths, but just out of necessity. Yeah. Um, I mean, our we had a lot of decision after we got to this, which there was a lot of emotional decisions to get there. But after we got there and did it, everything was like clean and easy. And it's interesting because I was recently speaking with a, a great girlfriend of mine who has a kid a couple months younger than Sai. And um, she was trying to figure out when she was going to end breastfeeding. And there was all these feelings that were coming up for her about, you know, what she was supposed to do and guilt and, you know, all the stuff that women have to deal with. And we didn't have the choice. And it was interesting because, and I, you know, it, I, I can totally respect where she was at, but like we had all these decisions made for us. Like mm-hmm. we couldn't breastfeed. So I never had to deal with the question of, do you, don't you, what is our philosophy? What do we believe in? Like, we didn't have to answer those questions because the answer was, it's not possible. Yeah. And so it's clean. There's, we're using formula and, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of controversy about what you do and don't do, but like, we can't participate in any of that. And it kept everything so clean. Right. And it kept like my, I mean, listen, there's a, as parents now, there's just guilt everywhere all the time <laughs> right? on everything. Like, that we do, but there was like all these other things that would have exacerbated that on the backside of the pregnancy right. once he came that were just non-starters for us because of science. And it kept things 
very like level and easy and he's an easy kid and we're so lucky because he's an easy kid but like everything just felt like by the time he came it was smooth sailing and then I have to remind myself that's okay because getting him here was like not smooth sailing in right? any way possible so now that he's here like we deserve a little bit of that yeah you earned the smooth we earned sailing it. we earned it you so knock on it. wood it stays like that because anything could change and I'm sure we have terrible twos like right around the corner but and if you have another one it will definitely change you know because the, the second one may be a pistol yeah. my second one is a pistol <laughs> the first one I was like easy peasy I could do this all day long mm. the second one I was like we will not be having a third as someone will die it will be me <laughs> or one of them or Bert one of us is gonna die because I'm gonna kill somebody um, because Isla was so very uh, energetic uh -huh. and curious uh -huh. and all over the place physically that I couldn't I couldn't keep up This week's Wife of the Party is brought to you by Lumi. Do you know what Lumi is? I do because I have a Girl Scout troop and when we go camping, we don't shower and we bring Lumi with us because they have deodorant body wipes. They have all body deodorant. They have cream deodorant and it is a godsend. I love Lumi. Um, my daughter uses it all the time because it smells really great and it does a, a wonderful job of keeping odor and yuckiness at bay for 72 hours, which is a really long time. She's also not a fan of a shower secret time, but so Lumi is really a big uh, asset in our household. An OBGYN, uh, Dr. Shannon Klingman, met with thousands of women concerned about odor below the belt and through clinical testing, she discovered it was not the vagina to blame, but bacteria on the skin. So she created Lumi a pH-optimized aluminum-free deodorant that actually works, and it works everywhere with over 150,000 five-star reviews to prove it. Lumi Starter Pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid-stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi Starter Pack with code WIFE. 30 at lumideodorant.com. That's L-U-M-E deodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit lumideodorant.com and use the code WIFE30. Thank you, Lumi. Yeah, the um, one to two thing seems, seems tricky. It's awesome, actually. I yeah. highly recommend it. I would rather have two than one. Mm. I was an only child, mm. and I did not enjoy that. And now as I'm aging, and I have friends who, one of my closest friends is one of five, and her mom is having health problems, and they, like, you take care of the insurance. You take care of the home health care. You take care of, you know, her food and groceries. And I just, all me. Yeah. You know, I don't, I, luckily everybody's healthy, but. As I look to the future, I go, wow, I don't have a teammate at all. Um, and that would stink. But they, they, yeah, I highly recommend if you choose to have a second. I think it's really awesome. And especially if you come at it like you just described, where you were, can be strong and can be rested and you can have kind of an even playing field, it'll be a lot easier. Yeah. You know, I breastfed Isla too. Mm. So, you know, Georgia was two. And there's just a lot, you know, that actually was more of a leveling playing field because Bert would have to just deal with Georgia while I dealt with Isla until she was a certain age. And that kind of leveled us out a lot. Um, but it's so fun to have two. Yeah. It's I think really we say like our, 
our lives feel full right now. I think we have everything we need. Um, but we're older parents because this took so long. And I think we look at it and it's, you know, my husband will say like, oh, this is really for Sai. It's like, I mean, I'm sure if it works and there's a second child, it will be for all of us. Yes. But the way it feels right now is it's for him because yeah. of exactly what you just described. Yeah, because you're um, full. Yeah. You feel yeah, we're good. And I think, again, it, it's it's a cl- same thing. It's a cleaner decision because we've got this one embryo left. There's only one way in which it's going to work, which is not with me trying it. Right. And I'm done. Yeah. My body has been done since that, you know, come to Jesus. I had, you know, those I described in the beginning. And if it doesn't work, then we're fine. Yeah. This is where it yeah, was it's to be, different yeah. than a woman trying to get pregnant who there's a lot of chance in that. Like, mm-hmm. there's no chance in that. I mean, there's this much chance, but like, there's this one embryo, there's this one woman, it's either going to work or it doesn't, and then the answer is there. Like, right. you know, there's no, like, if it doesn't work, are we going to go try to harvest more embryos? Like, we know for certain that's where the line is. Right. That also feels really clean. Yeah. Which is, you know, a huge privilege to have, to have that kind of clarity. Totally. On what your limits are. Yeah. Um, but again, not without a lot of work to get to that point of clarity. Yeah, but no anxiety about it. it sounds mm-hmm. like no anxiety. Not right now. And that's great. Yeah. I mean, talk to me in three months when she, we're trying to get her pregnant. Oh, wow. I don't know. It's like now. That's exciting. Yeah. That's good, though, because then your kids will be pretty close in age. Yeah. That's really great. Yeah. Oh, I hope it works. Yeah. We'll you have to see. let me know if I it know. works. It's, it's going to be, a, it will be the right thing either way. It yeah, really, tr- it it really the first time it didn't feel that way the first time it was like this is it and this is our I mean w- these are our chances and what we were battling with was if it doesn't work we may not be parents and what does that mean and that's going to be a loss that we're going to have to mourn and we were always good with saying like we we lived our lives very fully mm-hmm. I think we maybe talked about that a little bit like we counter programmed what wasn't happening mm-hmm. to like be able to do all the things our friends with kids couldn't do. Right. And we did that very deliberately. And I think we got so much out of that. Right. But I think if confronted with the, this actually isn't happening for you, this isn't going to happen. Like, let's get beyond that. I just think that we would have lived with that forever. Right. You know, but there was always going to be a limit and a point where we were going to have to stop. Right. Like, you can't do this forever. Women's bodies don't do it forever. Like, there's a certain age limit biologically, all the things. Yeah. So I think now, like it was so emotionally charged that first time, especially when Laura didn't get pregnant the first time. Mm. It was just like, you know, this really might not happen for us. Right. And that was really emotional. This time it's like, we have everything we need. We have this amazing child. We've got a great dog. We like <laughs> live in an amazing part of Los Angeles by the beach. Like we both have jobs. Like what more do we need? Yeah. You know, and then if this happens, it's going to be bonus. And if it doesn't, like our lives are full. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. What a great perspective to have. Great wow. way to yeah, look at that. Through time. <laughs> well, and age. But, time and age, but but an experience and yeah. and just being grateful. Sounds like it's through gratitude that you're grateful for what you have. Yeah. And gratitude makes everything easier. Yeah. You know, to just be grateful and aware of what you have. What was the hardest? What was the har- What was the biggest adjustment? For you, once Which, you had side, I mean, probably all the same stuff as as most parents. That this is where the story flips, right? It's like, you know, and I was thinking about this driving here too. You know, and everyone would say this. So, like, once the kids there, like, it all the way in which they come, like, kind Doesn't of matter. disappears. Yeah. 
And so I was trying to think like, what, what was that experience? Because when I was in it, it was so intense and it was like all that was happening around us for like a very long period of time. And then like your kid comes and then you're just a parent. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we were doing all the same thing. I mean, what we were doing all the same things that other parents were doing. Yeah. Minus my recovery. I mean, yeah. recovery. It's no right? different. It was no different. But for the first year, actually until probably just recently, I felt like I had to tell people, like, Interesting. whenever someone would be like, oh, like, or new people I would meet or people that just didn't know the way in which he came into the world. Like, I felt like I had, like, I was on this crusade to, like, not take credit for something I didn't do. Interesting. So they would, you know, if someone was like, oh, yeah, when you were pregnant, I'd be like, oh, I wasn't pregnant. And I would explain, like, I had him with a surrogate. Or, like, I was just, I was so, I don't know if it was a badge of honor. I don't know if it was not taking credit. But it was, like, I felt like I needed to say to everyone, like, I didn't do this. Yeah. Like, like he, he came and he was given to us by this wonderful woman. And, like, this is how he came into the world. And until probably, like, a month or two ago, I was like, that is our story. And it's important. And, like, Sai needs to know that's the way he came into the world once he can understand that. Like, I don't want it to ever be a surprise. Not that it's a big deal, but that's his story. Yeah. But, like, I don't need to shove that down, <laughs> down people's throats anymore. Right. Like, we're just a normal family now. Yeah. I mean, normal. I put I always put normal in quotes because what is normal? Yeah. But, you know, we're just a family Typical. Two parents with a kid. Yeah, you're a typical family. We're typical family. So it's like that kind of faded away. That's so cool. Yeah. I need to do do that with my fake handbags. (laughs) (laughs) Every time I go, it's fake, it's fake, it's not real. And I'm like, why do I do that? No one even cares. I'm the same way. They're like, I love that skirt. And I'm like, I got it for 80% off on blank, blank, blank. Exactly. I was like, we don't need to do that. But like, I don't know. You qualify it somehow. For what reason? I I just did it today. Someone said, I like your dress. And I went, Old Navy. Yes. Old Navy. Why do we do that? Like they would care if I bought it at Neiman Marcus. No. No. one would care. No. But I I I feel you. I know what you mean. (laughs) I didn't. I wasn't pregnant. Didn't carry them. Right. That's so funny. It's it's an apologetic female thing, maybe. I don't know. Maybe it is. Or just. Maybe it's an authenticity piece. I think for me, it's that I don't want anybody to think that I'm pulling a fast one or, you know, like, especially I got, I won this Louis Vuitton handbag in a raffle and I never had any kind of designer handbag ever. And every time someone would go great bag, I go, I want it in a raffle. I got it in a raffle. And I think I don't, there's just some piece that maybe I want the authenticity to be of who I am to be there. Not that I have any problem with buying a designer handbag. I just didn't. Yeah, you know, like you're I being deceitful, maybe. Yeah, I, I, I really um, relate to that. In that, you know, I kind of grew up and earned everything I have. Yeah, like, it, I didn't. There was no um, windfall of money, other than obviously the what we talked about earlier with this like last piece of my trust from my dad's passing from his insurance policy. Like, other than that, everything I have is like is earned, mm-hmm. and I, I came from the ground up. Like I, and I worked so hard for everything. Yeah. And I think that to your point of authenticity, it's like, I just don't want to be misunderstood. Like if I have something really nice, I want you to know that like, you know, I earned it and, and, and I need you to know that, that yeah. I earned it or something or that, you know, it's not me. It's not a reflection of who I am. Yeah. There's this whole thing right now about like stealth wealth. 
I don't know what oh, this it's, is. It's it's there's it's it's like you know the show Succession and how like all the people grew up obviously with an incredible amount of wealth, but their labels on the inside. So it's like a thirteen hundred dollar cashmere sweaters. You don't know that it's expensive. It's stealth wealth. Oh. Um, but it just looks rich. Yeah, you know and it's like I'm the opposite of that yeah you know like I just I want everyone to know that whatever I have is because I like worked really hard for it right and you know I don't expect that like that privilege is like coming from anywhere but like my own hard work right totally I think I feel that way too yeah or that I got it I got a bargain or I got a bargain which is the best yeah it's the best the bargain is the best it's the best yeah it's I got it at a raffle yeah can't tell you how many times I've I've been every time I wear that bag I got it in a raffle. Yeah, I won it. I feel you. So I feel you. So you said there are pieces, as you were telling me, the broad strokes mm. of this surrogacy um, story. There were some specifics. I don't remember what they were because I'm in menopause. And when you have menopause, you can't remember <laughs> your last name. But uh, do you remember what those specifics were? I mean, there's so many places we could jump in. Well, let's jump in. Where do you think we should jump in? Um, I don't know what will be interesting to people. Well... I'm interested in a few things like, did you meet any, uh, were you matched with anyone that you didn't accept or was Lori your first match and it just worked? They, I think they showed us the agency. So every agency is different. Our agency is very much like one-to-one. Like they don't want to present. You. It's not like um, you can go on and look at profiles and pick right. someone. Can't swipe left. No. Swipe. And, and actually, and maybe this is, maybe this is interesting maybe to me, not sure to anyone else, but, you know, in the process of matching, you fill out all this paperwork about who you are and where you grew up and what your values are and your religion and your feelings on abortion, specifically because when you match with a surrogate, and this I think is the most kind of, I don't know, dynamic question that they ask you, you know, but you have to, you have to say before you match with someone or as you're matching and signing contracts, like, we are aligned on a plan if something goes wrong with this pregnancy or there's a test that shows up that like the child is going to be, you know, severely um, impaired in some way. It's the parents' rights to decide what to do, but it's in someone else's body. Right. So you have to know, like there are things you have to know about the person you're matching with that is like incredibly complicated mm. and intimate and personal before you start. Wow. Because it's govern you you sign a contract with the people you're working with. It, it, and it's that contract governs that pregnancy. It's mm-hmm. a governance around a pregnancy, which wow. is like fairly intense and crazy. Yeah. Um, so you have to answer questions like, you know, if it at this point in the pregnancy, if something were to go wrong, you know, would you keep or abort the pregnancy or terminate the pregnancy? And the surrogate has to say that they're comfortable with the intended parents either making that decision or comfortable with terminating if something was wrong or not. If they're not comfortable with terminating if something's wrong and they don't want that procedure done or don't believe in it, then they should match with someone who wouldn't terminate no matter what. Right. So I bring that specific thing up because there's obviously questions like, what was your favorite subject in school? And they want you to like find common ground um, so that, you know, you're two people who are coming to this thing, but you have to have some like things in common. Sure. But then there's these really intense questions of like, 
you know, scenario play, things that play out and how you would handle them. And you have to make sure you're aligned on that before you sign any contracts. So, you know, that, that all happens leading up to these matches, which is why I think the agency, at least the one that we worked with, and I, I know every agency is different, won't just say like, okay, here's a, you know, here's a, a book of people, pick somebody. Right. So they look at your surveys, which are pages and pages and pages of questions. I bet. And they they match you based on, you know, a lot of different things. Geography, willingness to travel, you know, all kinds of, all kinds of mm-hmm. criteria. So by the time you get to this like match, like you're pretty much, it's, it's like a matchmaking service, you know, like you're pretty much, people are vetted and on paper are aligned. Mm-hmm. So I think when, by the time we got to Laura, we had asked them, like, can we maybe, because we'd never done it before, like, could you show us, like, two women? And they send you, like, their profile with pictures of them and their family and their whole thing. So I think by the time we got to her, like, we just asked, like, can we see two? Just because we have to understand, like, what's a point of comparison? And we ultimately selected her. And I'm mm-hmm. sure this other woman went on to be a surrogate for someone else. I'm, I'm sure, just not yeah. sure. Yeah. I wonder how how a woman gets into being a surrogate. I wonder, I guess they just go to an agency and sign up. I mean... Yeah, I think there's like a network of people. The agencies recruit. Really? And I think they recruit. They recruit. Um, and I think there's it sounds to me, and again, I, you know, I'm not an expert in the agency side of things. It's, you know, it's a business, but um there seems to be like maybe pockets of areas where like maybe a woman, someone else in her community did it and and had an amazing experience and then she'll talk about it in the community and then like other women from the community volunteer to do it or say they want to do it and then they go through a rigorous vetting process at least again with my agency um they go through a rigorous vetting process they there's um, psychologists involved you know there's evaluations there's um you know they go to they have to go to your they have to be approved by my doctor we have to get all their medical records. So I think, you know, you raise your hand and you say, this is something I want to do. And then there's a whole rigorous process to be accepted into the program. Right. Um, I'm sure there's looser agencies. Yeah. Um, ours is just, ours is one of the original agencies to do it. The woman who owns it is this like amazing woman whose name is Christy. And she, she was a surrogate in 1981. Oh my God. Before IVF. IVF was, um, IVF was became a thing in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. So it was at the time that she was a surrogate, there wasn't any implantation of embryos. So when the agent, owner of her agency was a surrogate herself, she was inseminated with another man's sperm and it was her egg. Wow. So different than I think, you know, what you were saying before where how is it for these women to hand over these babies? Yeah. It's not their biological right. child and they know exactly what they're doing. and to me, that seems so much more complicated. Yeah. It's actually your DNA. Yeah. Um, so she was one of like the OG surrogates That's and she crazy. started an agency after that. And since then, there's been so much advancement in um, reproductive technology. And so her agency has kind of followed that. Now it's very different. I don't know if they even, I don't, I presume they don't allow that legally anymore. I would imagine. I mean, that's like, that's like having a baby and giving it up for adoption. Yeah. I would imagine more similar. Yeah. I would assume, but you know, I think the way she speaks about it, again, this was a long time ago and I can't put words in her mouth, but the way she speaks about it, like she knew she always wanted to do this. And in her mind, there was boundaries there. And it's, 
to me, that's just fascinating. It's so fascinating. Very fascinating. It's fascinating. So what right does a surrogate mother have or a surrogate have? Um, Does she have, uh, this is a very ignorant question. Ask. So forgive. Like she doesn't have any right to your baby, right? Every state is different. Really? Yeah. So it's governed by the state. It's not um, federal law. California is the most, uh, California has the most state Supreme Court laws and cases about surrogacy, which makes it the most friendly place, I think, in the globe, like globally to do this, Um, which is why a lot of people come to California to do it. Um, So it's a great state to have laws of governance protecting the IPs slash intended parents. I almost say that as a joke because I think acronyms are so weird, but um, they, they, I think, I I don't want to misquote it, but I remember there was a story about like in Idaho, but we should fact check this, (laughs) Um, but in another state, let's say that um, what happens because there's not as many laws governing it, that you basically, the surrogate has the baby and then they turn the baby, like the baby is not intended parents baby until after the baby's born and then you have to like change the birth certificate like there's it happens after yes in california and we need to fact check this but this is the way it's been explained to me in california the contract that you sign gives ownership ownership to the intended parents so all decisions are owned by the intended parent even though it's in another woman's body. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think at five months, paperwork gets filed where like at five months through the pregnancy, like it's a done deal. Like you don't have to turn over any birth certificates or anything like that. So right. um, it's a very friendly state to do it in. And there's a lot of um, structure around the process. Right. And in our contract, we had a 60 page contract. Wow. Um, we Who had read a, that? I did. Every did? word. I Wowza. Every word. And it was fascinating. And Actually, I learned so much reading it because all the Supreme Court cases that have happened since the 80s till now are in the contract. Oh, my God. And so it wasn't like a boring contract. It actually was incredibly educational. Wow. And when I read and I I had all this information in my brain, but now don't have the space for it. So I discarded <laughs> it. But two years ago, I could have like recited a lot of this to right. you. But it's really interesting to see like the reasons why we have these laws because of like certain things that happened and things that were taken to the state Supreme Court Mm. in terms of like in a lot of some of it has to relate with divorce. There are certain Supreme Court laws that are based on, you know, a biological father not wanting to pay alimony and like then it governed how ownership over a child. And so it's it's really, really interesting when you actually pull some of that stuff up. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Oh, litigiousness sometimes yes. yeah. is good. Right? It is. I Sounds mean, like that's all for good. It's all for good. And it's also interesting to remember both with fertility advancement and reproductive technology and also surrogacy. Like, I think it's 1981. Like, this is when all of this started. So we're talking about things that are relatively brand new, mm-hmm. like 40 years yeah. only, and so much advancement and all of these, you know, parts of having children in these unconventional ways that have really happened. Like, I mean, it's happened in my lifetime. Um, so it's all still really new. It's a bit like the wild, wild west and and certain things are governing it. Um, but even with um, infertility, 
you know, I went to one of the best doctors in the world for infertility who's here in California. And he would say to me, like, there's not always an answer. And I'm like, but you're the expert, right? And they just, science has not caught up to give 100% certainty to a lot of this. It's yeah. still so new. Yeah, right. It's really fascinating. It is very fascinating. Yeah. You're so lucky. I'm you, so lucky. Yeah, you're really lucky. I'm so lucky. I'm, I mean, you know, the fact that we even financially could get to this place that we could, I mean, having a child for us was not, it was very expensive. Yeah. Um, and not everyone has the privilege of being able to do that. And so, you know, it's just, we're very, very lucky. Yeah, you are really lucky. It's very lucky. And women who can have babies on their own and it's easy are so lucky too. But, yes. you know, we're also very lucky. Yes, you're yeah. double lucky. Yeah, that's I why he is so. a true miracle. Yes. Yeah. And he was okay three weeks early? Everything was he okay? Was yeah, he, he was fine. He was cooked. Fine. He was like seven pounds, three. I mean, he was like Oh, he's totally baked. cooked. Totally cooked. Seven pounds if he'd stayed yeah, any he was longer. Like seven pounds, three ounces or four ounces, something like that. Yeah, he was Aww. done. He was done. What's your favorite part about him? I mean, he's just like a magic person. I don't know. He's just like a total <laughs> magic person. Like he, this week, he's very into music, like very, very into music, obsessed with it. And like this week, as a, he's two years old, he pulled out like his little ukulele guitar and he started strumming it and singing Blackbird by the Aww. Beatles. Like actually singing the song while he strummed the guitar. I'm like, you're two. Wow. Like this video of him doing that. I'm like, who are you? But he's just like, he's this little magic baby and he's happy Aww. and he's silly and he's like a little weird, which I like love. You know, he's just not, he's an old soul. Yeah. He's just a really, and he's, he's a, I think he's going to be a good human. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. He's really fun. That's awesome. And we're just having so much fun. That was the thing that I think maybe you said this before. You were like, what's, maybe it was a question about what surprised me or what was the first, like so many women said to me, the, you know, the, fir the first year is so hard. Like, don't judge yourself. You might hate it. Like you might hate him. You might hate your husband. Like it's so hard. It was the hardest year of my life. And I never felt that. And it wasn't not to be in solidarity with other women who had that experience. And I, totally appreciate and recognize that but for us it was like the journey was so fucking hard that yeah. by the time he came like every like he blinked and it was a joy you know he like would look at us and it was a joy he would giggle he would cry it was all a joy it was like yeah. we're like you are a bonus person that's awesome and everything is bonus so I think you know my experience was just it was just different you know yeah. like I didn't and, and I didn't want to like humble brag about it when my mom's like it's so hard and I was like oh it's not my experience <laughs> but also you know I think we we paid our dues to get there so you did. It, just, it leveled us out in a way that right. I just can't I mean I can describe it I can't describe it and again like we also got an easy baby so I'm sure if he wasn't an easy baby I wouldn't be saying that oh well maybe maybe not you know a lot of I think at least from my experience when you have a baby uh, from your body, your hormones are bananas. Mm -hmm. So part of that, it was so hard, it's so hard, is that your hormones are bananas. That's not all of it, right. but part of it. I would imagine that I would have handled the stress of it a little bet better if my body weren't already stressed. Yeah, you know? I get that. Because it's, man, the body, I can't believe what your body goes through. And then has it's to, like inhumane. And then these women do insane. this, but it's I get it. And they and a surrogate does it as a gift. Mm -hmm. No That's way. Right. I mean, I guess if you give the baby away, you don't have to take care of the baby, and your body can kind of Naturally recalibrate right. all yes. by itself a little easier. Yeah. Than if all of a sudden you're breastfeeding and you're making milk. Yeah. And you're, 
you know. Yeah. Well, she did actually pump for us for a month. Wow. Yeah. So um, we went, and when we went to see her and her kids, we like picked up like a cooler of breast milk oh that we God. had in our freezer. Wow. Um, and that helped her kind of like we, I, I think, I presume, it like helped her body kind of yeah, like it's good for your naturally body, yeah. do what she needed to do. Yeah. And it gave us like, we could we could mix in the frozen breast milk with his formula for like a month for the antibodies and all the things that come with that. Um, and so, you know, it, it, but she was also like, I also get to go to the spa and get a massage and I don't have to like wake up to a crying baby in the night. And I think she was really, it was a very different experience for her too. Because sure. she didn't have to take care of the baby. Yeah, she could just take she care of herself. Psyched. She and was psyched. Kids, yeah. She was. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. I'm so glad you had a great experience. Yeah, it was it was really wonderful. And it was, you know, we were very excited for her to, because it was a known, we kind of knew what that relationship looked like. Mm -hmm. um, and again, and maybe that was one of the other things when I said, there's so many places we can dive in. It's a very different relationship, right. you know, and again, everyone's relationship with their, you know, surrogate is, is also different, you know, but it's like, are you going to be friends? Are you going to be like sisters? Are you going to stay in touch forever? Are you like blood sisters and bonded, you right. know? And you come into it just like, what? how what's this going to be like i'm like jumping into the deep end with someone that i don't know very well mm -hmm. and you know we have different life experiences and we come to things differently and different emotional capacity for things and what's that going to be like right you know what was it like you know she was amazing in that i am i struggle with boundaries and it was just like who I am. Like I struggle with boundaries. Like I'm also an empath. So I'm like, I take in a lot and I give a lot. And sometimes that bleeds out to like yeah. issues with boundaries with, with people in general. And I think for me, she was, she was like all business. And so she kind of set these natural boundaries. Like I would, I, I could have sat on the phone with her for three hours being like, tell me everything about the way you're feeling and are you okay? And is this weird for you? And like, just asking, just wanting to get inside her brain because yeah. it's so fascinating. And like, she didn't want that. Yeah. How are you doing? Okay. Like the, t it was a lot of text messaging. I'm okay. How are you feeling? We're fine. Like she was like, she was very boundaried. And, and I, I don't know if, if that's just, who she was or if that's what she needed out of this was to have those boundaries. Mm -hmm. But what it did for me, which was brilliant, is it actually created a boundary that I couldn't have created on my own. I would have just give, like been giving and giving or like, you know, trying to connect. And I'm always looking to find a connection with people in my whole, my professional life and my personal life. I was just like looking for that connection so that we can find this entry point and like talk about all the things and like have this emotional connection. And she didn't want that. Right. And it actually was really good for me. It was freeing, I bet. So freeing. What a, another gift. It was a gift. It was a gift. Yeah, and another so, gift. Talk about divine intervention, man. Believe in God or not, mm -hmm. it's divine that your whole story is so divine from your, your dad's insurance money to finding this woman at, and not having the first baby. Yeah. You know, who knows that embryo might have not produced a healthy baby, yeah. you know, might have produced something you had to abort anyway yeah. or terminate anyway. Never know. So maybe the path did it for you. Yeah. So that well, there it was always does, left. right? It does. It always does. If you just, you just don't know it in the listen, minute, in the moment, and, you know, you just listen and trust and just follow what you hear and trust. It always leads you to the right place. It always does. You know, Cy was supposed to come here 
in this method. Yes. This is how he was supposed to be. Yeah. So. Yeah. And he was the fourth best of five embryos. Like the fourth best because they grade them. Mm -hmm. So it was like they do them like as the best ones go first. So the best three were gone. Right. And there's these two little runs left. Right. From the same batch. One is in the freezer and one is him. And you're just like, why was it the fourth one? Like, I don't know. Because runts are the, meant pa- to be they're the best part of the litter. Yeah. They're the best. We have a runt downstairs. Izzy yeah. the dog, she was the runt. No one no one adopted her. Yeah. And I was like, why? But, you know, she's a bull mastiff. They usually weigh about 130 pounds. She's 112. She's perfect. The perfect. sweetest dog you've ever seen. Perfect. The little runt, you know. Um, I think your story is amazing. And I'm Thanks. so glad you came back to tell me. Thank you. Uh, what happened because I can't tell you how many people have been like, whatever happened? Whatever <laughs> happened? We need to know what happened. I must have seen you at like a very pinnacle point of inflection or reflection on where we were at. Like, I think we knew the direction we were heading in and we were putting the pieces together on it, but maybe it wasn't all it wasn't. short up at the time. It wasn't certain. Yeah. It was, I think this might be where we're going. Yeah. And so it was like a It was lining up. It was it, lining up. Yes. Yeah. Well, you left us with a cliffhanger. I left you with a cliffhanger. <laughs> now you have another one. And now we have another yes, one. So right. I can't wait to find out if I you know. have another one. I, yeah. I, I feel good about it. I think you might. I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. It's and if all, not, no big deal. It's all a gift. It is all a gift. It's all a gift. Uh, well, I'm so happy for you. Thank you so yeah. much. I really appreciate that. And I appreciate you even being interested in the story. I love the story. Are you kidding? I loved it. I'm so happy to uh, hear that. The story is all about love. Mm-hmm. All of it. Even the trying and failing for seven years is about love. It's about trying to create this thing of love. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful story, the whole thing. I'm so happy for you guys. Thank you so yeah. much. I appreciate it. And drive safe home to go give a bath. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I know. I mean, look at what the difference a couple years makes. Right? Yeah. It's so true. Yeah. <laughs> I think that we should